in October, you were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from the New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating on camera. Uh, you were subsequently fired from that job after 27 years of working there. And you, since then, have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you've got it all right, sad to say. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on Earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. Welcome. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program where we are in our <laughs> in our home studio for the first time all of us for the first time all treated to what I think might be the best cable news audio that I've heard in that has to be of all time. That has to be of all time. This was during the daytime. This was like three in the afternoon or something, right? I can't believe that they greenlit a afternoon cable hit with Tubin to come on and, and try to explain. But but poor Allison Camerata. Yeah. She has to do that. Yeah. They make her try to recap this thing? Good God. Oh, folks, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. We've got a big episode. I, apologies uh, to Governor Greg Abbott, who is a wonderful guest who's telling us about some seriously important things. I hate that he had to come in on Jeffrey Tubin. Yeah, right. It's tough. But how are we going to... We can't skip that. The program can't miss this. Absolutely not. That, That'd be that, malpractice. That's why That's why the people come, that's right? right. <laughs> that's right. They, they, that's they exactly wanna, right. They want to hear stuff like this. So here we are. And uh, in fairness, I feel like the intro doesn't capture the full blessing of this interview. I mean, it's it's shocking when you think about it. The, right. the, the excuses and, and like what he what he said. He like what did he say? He he went to like uh, a special like uh, rehab center for this. Right. Yeah, well, let's just play. Let's just play part of it. To quote Jay Leno, "What the hell were you thinking?" Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much, and um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I think one point I, I wouldn't exactly say in my defense because nothing is really in my defense. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. Oh, 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 oh. Let, me just start. let me stop. <laughs> was there an allegation that he didn't? That it was like a purposeful <laughs> stare down of his colleagues? <laughs> he was asserting dominance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there would be there would be legal ramifications. Right. He's not saying, oh, you know, I was particularly aroused to know that they could all see me. Yeah. You know, that's it's, the way I roll. Right, 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 right. He's like, no, I've been waiting to do this for years. This wasn't seven years. Uh, this wasn't on purpose. Public exhibition of me. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's get back. This was deeply moronic and indefensible, but. I mean that that is part of that that is part of the story, um, and you know I have spent the seven subsequent months miserable months in my life. I can certainly 
confess, um, trying to be a better person. I mean, in therapy, trying to do some public service. Can, can, uh, I want to go to the therapy before I get to the public service. Yeah. That, 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 that's my question is like, what is the situation there? Like, do you have to go to some rehab center? Like, <laughs> what's it called? The Like one they have in Malibu? Like you go to passages, but it's for people who like had to jerk it. Like your compulsion is jerking it while your coworkers are on a Zoom call. Well, is the if the if okay. Let's just take like, Jeffrey. They get, like group circle meetings where they're like, "Hi, my name is Jeffrey," <laughs> and I have a problem. When my coworkers are on Zoom, I I just pull it out. So let's take. But, yeah, but seriously, <laughs> let's take Jeffrey at his word. Jeffrey says, <laughs> Jeffrey says that there was absolutely no inclination to try to do this in front of his coworkers that he simply made a mistake, didn't know the camera was on, had a masturbatory event. Right. Right? Well, so I mean, I mean the, Rehab. the implication there is he's such a chronic <laughs> masturbator and has such little impulse control that he couldn't wait for this Zoom meeting to be over. And just just for our listeners who may not be familiar with this story, Jeffrey Tubin's basically on this Zoom call with other people from the New Yorker doing this um, um, it's an election day it was, a, it was like a mock election yeah a mock day. election day thing you know where if the election was challenged what would happen with you know he was playing the courts and the judges or something on this this magic the gathering version of of, of a zoom call anyway that's where he pulled it out and, and as one did in 2020 particularly the libs in major cities it was all over zoom yeah and right. so they were doing all this planning session. Uh, he thought he was off the camera. Turns out he was not on the camera. Uh, he says it was unintentional, but he needs rehabilitation. <clears throat> I mean, that's the, the, unintentional is such a crazy part of this because, like, you okay? You're you're you know you're on a Zoom call. Your kids jump around in the background. All right, whatever. Everyone's got you know families and lives and whatever. This is like twenty standard deviations outside of <laughs> right. like right. a Zoom disaster. Well. It is a Zoom disaster, no question about it. But let's, you know what? I'm willing to take him at his word. Let's keep playing. Trying to do some public service. Um, working in a food bank, which I certainly am going to continue to do. He's working in a food bank. That's Don't honestly the worry, last place. guys. Don't worry. If, if your co-worker masturbates in front of you at work, ah, they went to a food bank. Yeah. So, so uh, my family and I have a tradition. Every Thanksgiving and Christmas... We go out to like the homeless shelter. We serve them food. You do not want someone in in, in Tubin's. Well, right, 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 with his interests handling food. <clears throat> what I'm saying is like, how does the health inspector let that go down? <laughs> you know, you got a, a a chronic masturbator serving people food. I mean, but again, that's a citation. But sir. again, again, you know, like in the in the 1990s, there was a a, a great way to get out of a political scandal. Right. Right. The first thing you had to do was announce that you were a tremendous alcoholic yep. yes. and that this was something that had bothered you for years. You've you didn't have control of your life. Uh, but now you do. You're good. You're seeking help. And then like three, four steps down the line, you find the Lord. Boom. You're back out of this, the, the political scandal. Right. 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 We have uh, pontificated internally about what that is. And I'm not going to share it. Uh, what that is in today's day and age, but Tubin is trying to invent a new path here. This is the new, new path. path. This is a new. So you're, you're caught doing something sexually explicit in an era of Me Too with female colleagues. Right. Go to the food bank. It is so nuts. And then they put Allison Cam- Camerata 
out on his like rehab tour. Like, yeah, I mean, having a woman conduct the interview is like adding a whole nother dynamic to the apology it is tour. So and you can nuts. tell how uncomfortable it's she entirely is uncomfortable. But you know what? I mean, it's it's full. It's fully deserved. Well, I, you know, I mean, if he's willing to come back on CNN and be publicly embarrassed that way. I mean, I would I mean, the wish money that on that my good. worst enemy. The money is that good. That's a thing. Yeah. But, but, but it truly is the, the elimination of shame on earth. If you're willing to go do that for a CNN gig. Yep. Right. I don't care what the money, unless you're, unless you're paying like tens of millions of dollars. He's forever known for this incident. What do you think the ballpark right. is on how much he makes? Oh, I I don't even know how to speculate, but it must be significant. Yeah, right? it's gotta be if good he's money. willing to go on there and have it all. And this is a man who up. who has zero shame to begin with, too. Like well, we've well, talked about this before. <laughs> yeah. You know who's hardest hit by all this? Uh, Jeff, Greenfield. Jeff Greenfield. Greenfield. Well, so so for our, <laughs> oh for our listeners, for, <laughs> for for our listeners who maybe feel like some of this is a little gratuitous, like you know, I mean, this guy obviously. It's a tough situation. The saga of Tubin, but Tubin is so incredible. Right, right, right. There's a little bit of karma happening here. <laughs> with you know, I don't know if Holmes, you want to recap it or you want to tell him to Google it, but well, but you I, can recap Greenfield. The, the point is, is that it was a colleague and it's his daughter, and the, it went south. But the the the, the thing, what you're getting at here. Is it's not like Jeffrey Tubin is an honest broker in this situation. <laughs> no. He didn't. He wasn't like a just a an analyst who made a mistake. Right. Who ultimately, you know, shoot. Right. He he casted judgment on just about every conservative who's ever become before the American community in any way to try to allege impropriety. Uh huh. I mean, Justice Kavanaugh is a perfect example. That's the one. You know, and we're, we're like trying to divine uh, impropriety from his yearbook. And here, you know, Jeffrey Tubin is knocking up the daughter of a colleague and masturbating on Zooms with female coworkers. And I mean, it's just like th- th- this y- guy is just like he's a jerk off right. the rails who just can't contain himself and just trying to have a comeback. But it's like the bottom line. It, it, but what does it say? <laughs> yeah, just Jesus. I mean, unbelievable. He got kids. Listening to this, we wished children. him happy birthday. We did. Okay. All right. Well, listen. I think that's about enough of Tubin, but it tells you everything you need to know about CNN that that guy's the only lawyer who can speak on camera. That's the thing. Uh, let's uh, let's just go right to uh, Hugh Hewitt, who uh, is a, a huge friend of the program. Total. Total. Total friend of the program. Love the guy. Uh, he's been terrific to us, and I hope we've been able to uh, help with some of the things that he's been up to. But he had a couple of interviews, a really important one with McConnell this week, where he talked about what would happen if a Supreme Court nominee was presented before the Senate in the last year of the Biden term, which was terrific. And, and I, I won't, you have to go to his website to check that out. It's great stuff. But. In the midst of all of that, he had great things to say about McConnell and said that I hope Comfortably Smug and Josh Holmes endorsed my idea that the Federalist Society should name an award for Leader McConnell and give it annually to the member of elected branches who do the most for the judiciary. Could go to governors who are playing, paying attention to the Supreme Court or whatever. Could go to senators, what have you. I think that's a great idea. It is. And, and you know what's really funny? What I really enjoyed is... News came out where uh, Mitch McConnell was like, if if uh, they try to replace Breyer, 
We're going to block it. <laughs> I mean, I think you... That I, got them so <clears throat> mad. I, <laughs> I would love that. I think you create that award. You name it after McConnell. I think the first recipient has to be Donald Trump. Let's be honest. The guy, you yeah. know, nominated record-breaking amounts of, of judges that were confirmed. Uh, An absolute I love stud it. when it came to getting people on the well, bench. Well, I think, I think McConnell would agree with that. I mean, look, Trump... Forever, whatever anybody thinks about it, did this as well as anybody in the history of the American presidency. Nominated absolute rock stars. Yeah. And, you know, you can see it playing out. You see the, like, the A6 stories in all of the national publications about, like, these cases that are working their yep. way to the Supreme Court and, like, the anxiety that's happening on mm -hmm. the left. And they're like, yeah. Jesus, we have unified control of government and somehow we're losing. We got the Clarence Thomas court. Like, <laughs> that is such a big deal. Because they've, for so long, they've tried to contain him. Yeah. And you cannot contain the power of Clarence Thomas. Like, they're going to feel his wrath. <laughs> We've so already good. seen it. Like, he's already started letting people know, yeah, this is a conservative court. Say what you want. Our time is now. <laughs> so, um, like, Roberts, I'm sorry. You've been, you've been uh, you know, a huge wet noodle. You've been an absolute disappointment. You've not held the line. Now we got the Clarence Thomas court. That's you got great. ACB there. She's a soldier. And now we got the Clarence Thomas court. I agree. I think, I think, listen, it's great. And in terms of the award, if Ruthless can play a role in this, we should, we should, make we that would happen. be happy to do so. And we've had, by the way, many requests lately, which we greatly appreciate. Yeah. I, I, the merch, I think the merch has given us a, uh, a different lift where all of a sudden people, these things are dropping on doorsteps across the country. And I think people are starting to become uh, awakened to the idea that all their friends and neighbors are actually ruthless sisters. They're out in the wild. <laughs> like we have, we, we have folks who are like DMing us the photos. They're like, this is out in the wild. Folks are noticing the ruthless takeover has begun. Like the, we're, folks, ruthless and the minions are like the tip of the spear mm -hmm. at this point. We're leading the charge and everyone recognizes it. Like the media is on notice. Everyone on Capitol Hill is on notice. Like, there's a new force in town. We've got the conservatives more excited than they ever have been. I think all the politicians are like, yes, the grassroots is alive and well. Well, and they can we come on and be them. themselves. I mean, you can hear from Abbott today. Yep. It's funny. Yep. You know? I mean, th that's part of the deal. We're not going to go sit, sit you down and grind out some litmus test shitty interview that is boring and nobody really cares about. The, they say the same talking points that you get in a press release. It's like, for until we showed up, the only option for Republican elected officials is you show up on the Sunday show, you show up for the press conference, and you know the media is just going to try to give you all the talking points that the Dems fed to them of like needle them on this, needle them on this, and all you can say is just essentially just like read back the press release. No, we we are we have completely circumvented that Democrat liberal media establishment machine that they had in place. Now it's going directly to the people. Right. Right. Their, their whole thing is all about narrative setting, right? Like it's not just bias in the stories that come out, it's bias in the questions that get asked. And, you know, now through the podcast, we can change all of that. It was like a, on, on, on Twitter the other day, that guy from ABC News, Terry, oh, Moran. Terry Moron, yeah. uh, showed up and he was like, is there any question that if they had a chance, the Republicans would end the filibuster? It's like, yeah, 2017 to 2019. I mean, like you wake up. I thought your job was journalism, dummy. The, right. the, the funny thing about that particular guy is I expect it from most of the media. You know, like Axios had some guy that wrote up something about like how 
you know, Republican SLF I might get involved in primaries. Yeah, it's been their policy for de- a decade. Yeah, it's right? like, all right. So, like, thank you, 22-year-old writer. I appreciate that. <laughs> like, check out some history. But this guy's been around for, like, 30 years. I remember that guy showing up at a – at like a, a war room that we did in 2005. Well, I, I think it's it, it, that's what a huge problem is. What has become of the media is you see people, even like uh, John Carl is another example of this, of people who used to be just like a respectable, down-the-middle person who realized, hey, everyone I know has turned into just like an absolute left-wing like madman, and they're getting book deals. They're it's, getting on TV. What's so funny is what a year ago was in the replies, like, uh, you know, resistance lib replies. That is now what drives the narrative of the tweet oh my gosh, of respectable so true. members of the media. And, 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 you know, the interesting thing about that that tweet is is it's sort of qualified, right, where it's like if there was something they wanted to accomplish that the filibuster, you know, made impossible. And it's like what, what a revisionist history of the Trump administration. Because I'm sorry, but if we got – if, if we thought that the filibuster uh, needed to go away – we would pass so much shit. With 53 senators? <clears throat> oh, my God. I mean, uh, are you kidding na- me? National right to work, uh, pain-capable um, anti you know, against abortion, the yeah. pain-capable uh, bill. We would pass uh, uh, right to carry reciprocity around, around the country, 50 states. We would have done all that stuff, you know, but we but we didn't violate my norms. And now they, they the people who are going to restore the norms, want to violate every single one of them. And again, I have to always bring up, they used the filibuster to defeat Tim Scott's uh, criminal justice reform bill, right? And 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 now they're saying the filibuster is a Jim Crow tool, which they <laughs> used like months it's ago. Insane. Months ago, just nuts, absolutely nuts. Well, listen, there's another uh, piece that we want to get to. I saw in the papers the other day. You know, there's new vaccines, all kinds of incredible stuff that's happened as a, as a result of smug. What is it called? Uh, Operation Lightspeed. Yeah, it is not. It is warp speed. Warp speed. He always gets it wrong. Well, I just want to keep people on their toes. (laughs) Everyone knows it's It's, Operation Warp Speed. It's so good. But the point is, so I've been watching all of this, and I saw, uh, I watched Sunday shows for the first time in a very long time, and I watched Face the Nation, where Dickerson was doing an interview with Scott Gottlieb about a new variant that they were concerned about. Mm -hmm. A COVID variant. Yeah. And the the. You know, first 15 minutes of the interview, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but a lot of the interview was about how this variant was going to be the predominant variant, something to be concerned about, probably engulfs the United States, will be the dominant variant within the United States. Very concerning, could be a big concern in the fall. And then, like, after all of this is, like, hand-wrung and... and and, and they, they like it's the Delta variant. Yeah. Oh God, it's so bad. Then they're like, Oh yeah, no, the vaccine works against. The <laughs> they're like, also to close. It's like it's like, yeah. it like if it was an article, it would be paragraph sixteen. I mean, you are know? you fucking kidding me? Yeah. What are we concerned about? We just distributed tens of millions of vaccines. We're now shipping them across the globe. We did such a good job because, by the way. It turns out it's beneficial when you have a pharmaceutical community that cures things. Yeah, it's wild. This is what happens when President Trump. This is what the the the, the, the huge difference between the approach that President Trump took and the rest of the world, especially Europe, took. And this cannot be hammered enough. Is President Trump saved millions of lives globally because he decided to take a path that we need to encourage companies to compete 
to put out the vaccine. We're going to go on the supply side on this. We're going to, you know, work with the government and we're going to fast track to get these companies to put out vaccines. Europe and everyone, you know, went on the other side of the equation where they're like, we're going to group buy this. Okay, comrade, we're all going to, you know, share and right. share alike. Right. We're going to pool our purchases. No. And now look what's going on. Is right. They vac- have one vaccine. We got multiple vaccines. Yeah. And, and they've got like one vaccine for every like hundred people. And meanwhile, it's like today for the vast majority of Americans, if you want a vaccine, you can get one within hours. Yeah. Well, but this isn't far off lands <clears throat> that we're talking about. Right. This is Canada. Right. Canada. Like my my parents, my dad grew up in the in the border town, a border town of North Dakota into Canada. And as a result, we've had a family cabin that's like in this very remote area that you have to take a boat to get to uh, called Manaki. Mm. But it's the pride of our family. Everybody, it's not, you know, it's this is not some like outpost lodge, but it's a it's huge pride of our family. People love it. My dad has gone there 78 of 80 years of his life. The last two, he hasn't been able to go. Right. The last one. Sort of understandable. Yeah. Sort of understandable, right? Nobody nobody knew what was going on with COVID. He's 80. They didn't have vaccines. He's got stuff going on. Uh, This one, Canada literally just won't let people in who own things in Canada because they've so mismanaged all of this that they, they, they literally can't figure it out. The Toronto Blue Jays, I don't know how many people listening to this know. They haven't been playing they, in Buffalo? They play in Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, the Montreal is in the playoffs, in the hockey playoffs. They have empty stadiums. They're playing against Las Vegas. I don't know if you've seen a Las Vegas uh, Knights game. Holy shit, they're off the hook. Yeah. It's like a club in yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are going nuts. That's the pride of that town. It's but, so great. But how do you expect uh, Montreal to compete with that? Like, you go to home, hey, we have an empty arena and then we go play in Las Vegas. And I mean, this like, is right. why I've said we have to build a wall. Like, Canada oh. is, is a, it's an absolutely backwards nation. For so long, we've had to deal with them. It's time <laughs> to build a wall. <laughs> These people, you know, they're not sending their best. They I got love, people with I COVID. Like Canada. They're not <laughs> just just one thing to get back to the Dickerson Gottlieb thing yeah. real quick for a second here, because I think it illustrates a broader point. And that is, you know, we're talking about variants in this country, you know, obviously because we have the vaccines and, you know, we're, we're getting to herd immunity. And so the media needs to spin up, you know, fear about something else. What it reminds me of so much is the beginning of the pandemic when we went from 15 days to slow the spread. Let's reduce the hospitalization rate to like until. Um, no one's infected. We can't reopen yeah, the country. Which, which it's is their it, metric. It's the sort of the same same sort of problem here, and 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 this sort of divergent worldview that we're coming into post COVID, which is you know why I was in the elevator today and saw a woman in two masks Get using her elbow really? to using her elbow to to push the the button. Get out of here. <laughs> yes, Fauci. It's insane. Fauci. These That's people's right. brains have been warped, and they and and, and but what again, they do, don't 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 don't. This is a point of ruthless pride. Do not discourage these people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Tell them it's a very dangerous. <laughs> Look, Tell the list, was, don't go outside. Here's the problem. She left her house. I know, but you know what? She shouldn't go. She shouldn't. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Dinner reservation, don't make You should have just like had a little cough. And like, <laughs> oh, you should, you should never leave her home. That's so mean. Though. Never leave her home. If you're a lib and listening, because lots of them do, like Media Matters, we know you're listening. Don't leave your home. You, it's not safe outside. Don't do it. It's not safe. You could catch a cold. 
Yeah, it's extremely, extremely alarming. All right, so we got to cover the G7. I mean, guys. Oh, can what I a just disaster. Play, let me just play a little audio, and then we'll go from there. When you're having these conversations with European allies who are very concerned about these sanctions, how do you justify that? And what are your plans? 120 days. Give me a break. Dude, what? 120 days. It's like Walking Dead. He sounds a little bit like Batman. The zombies can now talk. This guy's 120 days. Give me a break. The, Give the, me a break. It's my nap time. The funny thing about about the G7, and I will say, like, it, it, it's sort of interesting to see the press corps go abroad again, travel, and try to cover all this stuff. But the remarkable difference between the way that they covered Trump, his administration, and Biden and his administration, like, it, it's it doesn't require programs like Ruthless to point it out because – I would say that even the most progressive liberal has to spot the difference, right? Right. I think they really don't want to see it. They just don't want to see it. Like, uh, so a friend of the program, Red Steez, had a great tweet where he said, Biden's G7 presser is a perfect example of why suddenly it's just journalists posting the quotes they want without the video footage to go along with it. Because they know this guy, I mean, he's a mess. Dude, Steez is on. Absolutely. Right. He nailed it right there. They're, they're, because they can't show the guy. Did you guys see, did you see the video the other day of him getting, I think it was at some like, I don't know, cocktail party event where he's sitting there with a couple of world leaders and he gets up and Biden kind of like struts over and somebody's asked him a question like, how's the summit going? And he's like, huh? Oh, <laughs> it was, it was at some, no, the, the, the tweet I saw, he's like at some random cafe. Yeah. Random cafe. Wandering around. Lost. And like uh, the, 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 the press outlet or whoever put out this video. Was like his assistant, like helped, like walked over and helped him. It was his caretaker, first doctor. Please say doctor, right. Doctor Jill, Doctor Jill Biden. Like runs up and grabs him. Runs up and like, grabs him. Like tries to flag him down. And it's like we got we got putting in the van. Well, and there was that there was that other <laughs> there was there was that other episode where uh, Boris Johnson had to correct him oh, about the South South African delegate in the room. Uh, but like the way he did it too. Is like he, he like with the body language he put his like hand yeah, out, and hand arm out in front of, of him, Biden yeah. kind of like they're there old man yeah. we already got this we got it covered like oh this is America on the world stage like for years they're like isn't Trump an embarrassment my greatest memory of Trump at like one of these like summits is there are all these like world leaders from Europe or whatever walking and he just like elbowed his way to the front and just did the like you know jacket flex. <laughs> At the front of the crowd, like I was like, you know, you want to say America first. Literally, this is America first. I mean, I don't want to cover too much of the substance of this because let's wait for him to get home. I'm a firm believer, by the way, of the overseas thing. Yeah. See, I used to. I used to until the left played that card. So explain this to our listeners. So when I grew up Mm -hmm. in politics, um, Ronald Reagan, I think, largely established this. Well, no, it could go before that. It could be. It could be before that. But I, I remember it as a Reagan thing because that's where I grew when I grew up. Is that you, you just don't criticize American presidents while they're on foreign soil. But the whole politics ends at the border. Yeah, they they represent you, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. America is more important than your partisanship when abroad. When Obama was president and he was in like Japan or something, 
and they asked him what he thought about Trump as a potential president. And basically yes, said he couldn't right. do the job. Yeah. Right. I remember which that. is as it, it breaks all of the norms. Right. Right. My norms, people, My norms. Were, they were all totally silent about this, yeah. but it breaks all the norms. And that's that, that's my thing is I feel like we will no longer unilaterally disarm. The left will go after us. They went after Trump. They will go after us wherever we are. They will not follow the whole precedent. Like, we right. used to be respectful. We used to be respectful. Like, I remember 2012, we had respectful Romney, and they, they said Romney causes cancer. They ran ads saying Romney causes cancer. Right. And how did that work out for <clears throat> us when we were trying to, like, be respectful? Gloves are off. Yeah, no, listen. No unilateral disarmament. I've come around to your line of thinking on this. But I'm not, what I'm not going to do personally, I don't even care if the show does it, but what I'm not going to do personally is weigh into like Syria policy and all the specific stuff that they're talking about with Russia before the guy does it. Because, I mean, frankly, look, I'm old school. I like that. I like the fact that there is a United States of America mm-hmm. versus the world. And the only people that don't respect that are fucking liberals. Yeah. Conservatives like putting on the jersey. We like the stars and stripes. We like the. We the are national, not scared of the flag. We, we don't see it as a, th- a threat, a terrifying thing. I mean, isn't it even Flag Day? It might even be Flag it is, Day. It is not only Flag Day, it is National Bourbon Day. It's and a two for perfect match. And it's, it's just and it's President Trump's birthday. This is, you know, it's, well, it's a triple that. crown. A triple crown event. But. I guess, look, we can move on from that. The point is, is that G7 will we'll have a lot I to say about I think the, the message to take away from all of this is this is emblematic of American decay. Under Biden, we're seeing American decay in every avenue. Overseas, politically, geopolitically, you see American decay. When the British prime minister is waving him off, it's like, okay, you know, the old man doesn't know what he's talking about. When, when, when the American presence wandering around a cafe, tottering around, that's American decay. When, when the American presence says, give me a break, guys, to, that's American decay. We're seeing it with the prices of everything are going up. You know. Well, let's get to that. Let's go for it. Let's get to that. Because what you just said is, I think, the most important thing. Kevin McCarthy sent a letter to all of his colleagues as they got back into session last night that dealt directly with the issues. And by the way, this guy's a champion of not taking the bait. Champion of not taking the bait. He's done a good job of it, yeah. He's not taking the bait. The point is, is that what we're seeing in inflation happening as a direct result of Democratic policies has already raised your taxes 7%. That's that's, That's the way to look at this inflation. When everything is costing more, that's a consumption tax on working class Americans. That's a tax. That's the Biden tax. The Biden tax, this inflation is the Biden tax. When you're paying more for groceries, that's the Biden tax. When you're paying more for wood, that's the Biden tax. When you're paying more for gas, that's the Biden tax. Well, and it's a regressive tax because it hits the people who consume the most of their income on a monthly basis the most. Yep. And so for rich people, yeah, I mean, it's a rounding error. But for, for working class people who... You know, they spend all the money they make every month on goods, you know, groceries, thing, gas, things like that. That 5%, that 7%, that's huge. I mean, that's a, so this is a point of pride for us here on the program. All of us come from parts of the country that are not, you know, 
Alexandria or McLean, McLean, Virginia or New York City or San Francisco. So we have a bit of an insight. There's a reason that you can read Vox and they're like, here's 10 reasons why inflation doesn't matter. It's yeah. You know why inflation doesn't matter for you? Because you're getting overpaid doing a worthless job uh, with your Ivy League degree. That's why you don't care about the price of gas. And everything and everything is about the audience that they've cultivated. Yeah, that's same with the New York Times. You just mentioned Vox, Washington Post. It's not dissimilar. CNN, MSNBC, they're talking to rich, elite, coastal liberals. Bingo. Period. Bingo. Right. If you've ever tried to work with your hands, they're not talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. They're not talking to you. If you're trying, if you are trying to sincerely estimate out what it costs for you to have all your trucks go out and pick up lumber and bring the lumber back to your carpenters and your carpenters to build something tangible for this country. They're not talking to you. Yeah, you know, he's a perfect example. Uh, I think it was last week. Stephanie rule, oh my, uh, you yeah. know, tweeted out, um, about how, you know, uh, small restaurant owners, you know, small business owners who own restaurants and, you know, they got these forgivable PPP loans. How dare you say you can't pay more to hire workers? Like, you know, come on my show and defend yourself. Yeah, let basically. me shut down. Let me shut <clears throat> down foot traffic. Right. 100%. The government shut down their the restaurant. Government shuts down right. your successful restaurant. Right. And you, you should be thankful for the government. <laughs> You're the bad guy. And mind you, these are restaurant owners who have done everything to accommodate these edicts from their governors and their state legislatures. I mean, they have moved dining outdoors. They bought heaters so they could stay open in the cold. All this. And, and Stephanie, how much DoorDash do you think Stephanie rules fucking order? You know, here's the thing is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like how divorced are they from, from, from the actual labor that goes in to, to, to supporting their lives? Yeah. You know, I, I, and I think this context is important. So a lot of folks, you know, now she's this like progressive all-star on what MSNBC, she came from the sales desk at Deutsche moving, uh, you know, credit derivatives (laughs) ahead of the crisis. And she's out here as like. I'm a champion for the small. Oh yeah, right, right, right. She's looking up for the the working class people. She's never created a real thing in her life except a, deri- a derivative. That's all. Like that. that, that that's that's a that's financial where she's instrument from. to fuck you. Right, like, right, right. A synthetic CDO, yeah. maybe. You know? and, and these are the people who are who are a voice of the left, being like, "Hey, folks, you know, gas. You, there were people in gas lines. Uh, wood costs more. Your groceries cost more. But let's be serious. That's not a problem. No, that's serious." They actually said that from the White House podium. They and, and that's the thing is they are so enmeshed in their own little bubble of their fellow like Ivy League liberals who like I put myself through school as doing doing uh, landscaping. I was I, I worked at a grocery store. I was a bouncer at an awful bar. <laughs> yep. I worked at a Foot Locker. See, like oh, yeah. they don't get it. They never will get it. They went from you know the dad the the job daddy hooked them with to the next job daddy hooked him up with, to the next job daddy hooked him up with, until they went through, you know, Columbia or, or one of these Ivy League and schools. And that's your media elite. they are. That's your media elite. What you just put your finger on are all of the people who are setting the narratives that Duncan talked about earlier about what's happening in this country. Right. They don't have a damn clue what's nope. going on in this country. Nope. They certainly don't know anybody who's actually effectuating real economic growth. Like, all these people are just shifting wealth from one side to another 
and they're trying to they're trying to maintain that like oh you know what I'm fine if you raise the income taxes a little bit as long as you don't touch the investment income it, bingo oh, or, or bingo <clears throat> or you know what these these salt caps are really unfair yeah. because I live in a blue state oh, and I have yeah. a McMansion and it's really unfair that 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 my deductions are capped and it's like well you vote for far left Democrats. Raise who, who raise your taxes? Maybe you shouldn't be insulated from that fact, and and say the rest of these states own it. Oh, you know they they owe you money, and it's like, excuse me, they want you everyone getting, else right. to shoulder the taxes <laughs> yeah. on their like gorgeous right. crib in yeah. Long Island in right. the Hamptons. They're like, I don't like the taxes on that. Folks. And, and and Stephanie Rule is going to lecture a, a restaurant owner about what they've done for the economy. Mm. Get out of here. Mm. I love this segment. <laughs> unbelievable. I just love it's this just segment. unbelievable. It makes me want to dip into my bourbon. Yeah. Oh, bourbon do it. Day. National Bourbon Day. Yeah. Cheers to Cheers, it, fellas. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, just so everybody knows, we, we do tape this in the evenings. This is not a... Um, it's not a daytime event. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I was on on the clubhouse, and and thanks again to Ebeth and and all the minions who organized those clubhouse, you know, uh, listening sessions post episode. I really appreciate it a lot. Uh, there's a little bit of concern in there about about you know I mean, they hear the the cans rattling and they're like, you guys aren't recording these in the morning, are you? No. <laughs> No, this is the evening. Yeah. It's you can't drop have, an episode at six AM. We'd be recording at like five AM. I do appreciate <laughs> I do appreciate genuinely that these people worry about our, our well being. Yes. You know? Yeah. They're you the know, best people on earth. They really are. The minions are the best people on earth. But but in all honesty, um, you know, the, I with that underscores this is not what we do for a living. Right. Right. We work all day. <laughs> we work all day and then we do this and we yeah. do it because we love it and we love the listeners and we love the information that is not provided. And that's why, because like the, like I said earlier, there is no other space for our side to get the message out and the truth out anymore. Like, you know, the entire media now is working together to try and destroy our side, our beliefs. And, and you know, we're the outlet now that if you want to get the message to the people, you can circum, you circumvent the, the system that they've built of like, it's a firing squad. You have a you have a press conference. It's a firing squad of of twenty journalists. Like a you know you're gonna have like Yamish out there. Uh, you know you're gonna have every left wing journal who's trying to get a book deal trying to hunt you down. You know what? Here, it, you guys haven't even heard this yet, but this is a classic, absolutely one hundred percent factual story. I got a call from not one, mm -hmm. but two journos mm -hmm. over the last week, who have told me. Our publication needs to do a story about your podcast because it is evident that it is changing the conversation in Republican politics. Yeah. That it's it's not it's not about like the guests you have and the you know, the what news comes of that or it's not whatever. It's about the fact that you've literally changed the conversation in Republican politics. But but we can't. Um, which I, I mean, I don't care whether they do or not. It doesn't matter to us. It's our audience that matters, not them. And their audience is not ours. Bingo. But, uh, they can't because it'll look like, it'll look like they are, um, Oh, they're amplifying us. Yeah. yeah. They're platforming That's us. That's the problem. Yeah. We can't be platformed. <laughs> and I, and that was it. Yeah. No, right. And no, I think I get part, it. part of their problem, what they don't get is the power that we've built here is. I think just like Duncan said, this is a two-way street. The people tell us, and we carry the message up. That's it. 
That's it. And, and it's like, a radical idea. But everybody who listens understands that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is why we deal with like the hilarious interplay on Twitter on a day to day basis between all of us that they don't apparently listen to. They don't. They, they, like, it's all, of, all everything we've just described is how our model is so radically different. The people talk to us and we carry it on up. We talk about what the people are talking about. And it's just it's groundbreaking because in journalism, Journalism used to be about you have to investigate and you have to bring information to the people. It's lost that. It's lost that. They're all just messengers at this point. They've gotten their marching orders. They've gotten their talking points. Well, they talk to each other. It's all about self-validation within their community. Totally. Like once you're a journalist, the only point is to try to make other journalists feel jealous or proud about what you're doing. They all just want more followers and, and they can get more followers. They'll get more followers with their like brainworm liberal takes and trying to like jump up during a press conference and having like a book deal moment like uh what's his name on cnn acosta oh geez. acosta is like the exact example of like this guy was a backbencher until he decided he's gonna jump up at every press conference and try to make it about him yeah and he got himself a book deal and they all saw that and they're like well i want money yeah yep listen this has been a banger <laughs> of an episode i i have to get a a proper lead-in to this governor Greg Abbott interview because this guy's been doing a whale of a job in the most important state in my view that that Republicans have in this country Texas the great state of Texas how are great you? state of Texas well Florida Florida's making yeah, a run that's a, you know I'm a, I'm a the whole debate for me is property taxes like I'm looking to oh. relocate it's a it's a Texas or a Miami you know it's a, well, it's maybe a you awesome. should have brought it up with the governor but but it, anyway <laughs> I I think he has made a compelling case that Texas is the place to be, and he's also has a major announcement. Let's get to the interview. I want to welcome to the program somebody we're a huge fan of here on Ruthless, the governor of the great state of Texas, Greg Abbott. Governor, welcome. Great to be with you guys. My pleasure. Listen, you've had a lot going on. You always have a lot going on. But last week, you had a pretty major announcement. You had hosted a uh, border security summit. And a lot of us who have paid a lot of attention to what's happening, particularly in the Biden administration with regards to the border, have played very close attention to what you and other leaders on this issue have been doing to try to combat what we think is is an absolute crisis. And you announced that Texas is going to be continuing to build a border wall. Absolutely. So let me take a couple of things about it. One is most people who are not from Texas, most people who live in states north of Texas, a lot of the information they get about the border is what they see on TV. And most of what they see on TV are the thousands upon thousands of families coming across the border. Uh, as well as unaccompanied minors. The fact of the matter is most of the people coming across the border, uh, mathematically, last month there were 180,000 people who were apprehended apprehended coming across the border. 120,000 of them were adults traveling alone, many of whom are not here uh, for good causes. Uh, And and what people on TV, uh, the videos they get to see are, are the women and children coming across the border. The fact of the matter is, if you go to places like Del Rio on the border, which is where I was last week, these are farmers and ranchers and people who live in small towns. Uh, and they're living lives where they're being shot at every day. 
or they have a gun put to their head, or they're being robbed, or the houses are being broken into, uh, their fences are being torn down, their cattle are getting out, uh, right. their livestock is getting out, uh, their farms are uh, run over by vehicles. Uh, it's, a, it's a third world country where these farmers and ranchers are living with their lives on the line every single day. And you know what? The Biden administration could care less about these people who are going through this tragedy. And somebody has to step up for these people. Uh, and that's the governor of Texas. And, you know, it's, it's reprehensible that we have the czar for the United States in charge of the border, Kamala Harris, <laughs> laughing, literally laughing. It's incredible. About going to the border. Let me tell you what's, what's not a laughing matter. And, and that is the way that Texans and other people on the border in New Mexico and Arizona and even California, the way they're being harmed. And as a result, Texas is stepping up and doing several things. One is I have already deployed more than a thousand Texas Department of Public Safety officers, as well as National Guard to the border, where they've already made more than 1,500 arrests and have apprehended more than 35,000 people who've come across the border illegally. We have learned now, however, with the open border policies of the Biden administration, that our efforts that we've already done are simply not going to be enough. We need to improve or increase or step up our game more than what we've ever done before. So we're gonna, we have multiple strategies. One is uh, we, we will first be adding fencing right along the border, uh, which will slow people to some extent, but also it, it sets up a crime. Anybody coming across the border who in any way tries to damage that fence, they are guilty of two crimes. One is trespassing, the other is vandalism. And because oh, I've declared it a disaster, the penalties for those crimes have increased one or two notches. And so these people are subject to immediate jail time that we will be putting these people in jail for a long time because of the crimes they've committed. Oh, that's and interesting. And also, as, as you're talking about, I announced last week that Texas will be building the border wall. It's going to be later on this week that I announced the details of what that plan looks like. But listen, we need the wall. The wall works. Law enforcement understand that it works. The residents understand that it works. The local officials in the region, they understand that it works. And anybody with a bird's eye view of watching what goes on the border, you can see how a border wall serves as a funneling device for the people who are coming across the border. And it assists the entire process of doing a better job of securing our border. And I've been working with members of the Texas legislature uh, to work with me on this. So this is gonna be the entire state of Texas stepping up. By the way, I wanna tell you something. Uh, for you to keep in mind later on this week, because when I do make the announcement later on this week, I will also be providing uh, a, a link that you can click on and go to for everybody in the United States or in really everybody in the entire world who wants to help Texas build a border wall. There will be a place on there where they can contribute to Texas building the border wall. Oh, that's great. And all proceeds go directly to building that wall, I assume. Yeah, so they, they go to a fund in the state of Texas, not a private entity, not an individual, but they will be overseen by the state of, uh, state of Texas uh, in the governor's office. Great transparency. Everyone will know in, every penny in, every penny out. But the sole purpose for those funds will be going to build the border wall. Well, that's great. Well, I want to ask you just one specific that stood out I thought was was particularly smart is by creating this, this barrier one way or another, and you, you've thereby created a crime. What you are remedying then is a federal government that, you know, if thus far has chosen not to prosecute, not to hold 
illegal immigrants. You, as the governor of Texas, presumably the state of Texas, then actually has the right to prosecute. So you're spot on. So, you know, I told you about those 35,000 apprehensions that Texas yeah. officials have made. But they were they were apprehensions of people who were violating federal law. So we had to turn them over to federal officials. And that does nothing because they do catch and release. And so it doesn't lead to confinement. So you're exactly right. One of my goals is uh, for, for Texas to have its own barriers and for Texas to have its own laws enforced so that when we arrest people, uh, we will be arresting them for violating Texas laws, not federal laws. We will not be turning these people over to the federal government. We will be turning them over to Texas jails. So yeah, that's a smart strategy. That's the kind of thing that gets it done. I, I, can, I can appreciate that. Let me, let me ask you, because you mentioned Vice President Harris and her imminent knowledge of border crisis, as it seems, uh, can't even bring herself to go down there. Has she has even so much as placed a phone call to you about this issue? No. So I haven't, the, the president hasn't called, the vice president hasn't called. Unbelievable. Uh, the only person I've talked to are some folks uh, in the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and that was a long time ago. Uh, they, they, they have a game of pretend going on. They, they are pretending that the Texas border does not exist uh, because they're, they're not talking about it either publicly or privately or calling us or anything else like that. They just have this attitude that the, the Texas border with Mexico does not exist. I mean, you almost feel like you're just totally on your own. I mean, you we are. Yeah, we, we feel like a frontier outpost going back in the mid 1800s. Uh, where the federal government would rarely show up. Uh, not, not to mention, listen, as we're talking today, Texas has the ninth largest economy in the entire world. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and they're acting like we're some frontier outpost that they completely ignore. Here's what's cool about it, though. You may have seen the presidential elections last time where uh, in these border counties, uh, these are counties that every Democrat presidential candidate has won overwhelmingly going back like my entire life. Right. But Trump actually won some of these border counties, those that it did not win, he got like 48% in or something like that. Yeah, wow. It, it, it was a wake-up call for people. And let me tell you something, uh, and there were two reasons for it. One is because Trump's protection of the border, but also Trump's uh, promise uh, not to allow the Green New Deal to take away uh, all of the uh, energy jobs that we have in the state of Texas. And so uh, we, we are going to be turning the border region uh, into Republican strongholds in the future because we're the only ones who are standing up and fighting uh, for the people whose lives are on the line in the border of Texas. Well, that's a, that's a great transition, actually, because one of the things that has been obvious to those of us on a national level as we look at Texas and the successes that you, Governor, have had uh, in attracting business and improving business climate within Texas the, the, the downside of that is that you get a lot of people from California that are moving into Texas and they bring their voting behavior with you. But, but as you just mentioned, what I think is fascinating is in that process, just as many people seem to, as you just mentioned, along the border, begin to change their voting behavior from traditionally Democratic strongholds to shifting more right. How, how do you ballpark where we're at now in terms of Texas? Are we still a, are we still a Republican stronghold? Absolutely. And I will tell you this, and that is study after study after study has shown that the people who are moving to Texas from California, for example, uh, they are percentage wise more Republican than Democrat. Let me give you several examples. The, the last time I was on the ballot was uh, in 2018. So 
three years ago, basically. And it also was the same time that Ted Cruz was on the ballot against Beto O'Rourke. Yeah. And my campaign did a poll, an exit poll, after people had already voted. Did you vote for Ted Cruz or did you vote for Beto O'Rourke? And then when it came to the demographic questions, we asked, uh, have you moved to Texas from California or were you a native-born Texan? 58% of the people who voted for Ted Cruz have moved from California. Oh, fascinating. Uh, and, and, and then several other studies have shown the same uh, numeric uh, uh, quantities uh, in, uh, in studies that have occurred since then. And as you pointed out, listen, especially during 2020, the year of COVID, we had so many businesses moving their headquarters to the state of Texas last year. Texas ranked number one in the United States for the most economic development relocations and the most uh, yeah. new jobs created through economic development. And, and one reason is because pe people and businesses were fleeing states like California, New York, and other states and coming to Texas. But the good news is the people who are coming here, they understand why they left the states that they did leave. And they're not voting for the same policies that existed in those states they fled from. Instead, they're voting to keep Texas the way that it is. In fact, they're adamant about keeping Texas, Texas. I'll give you one example of a person who has told me this directly and emphatically and on multiple times, and that's Elon Musk. Yeah. Elon Musk now is an official resident of the state of Texas. He said he could not wait to get out of California. It's so much <laughs> easier to operate in the state of Texas, but he wants Texas to stay Texas. He doesn't want Texas to adopt California-style policies. Yeah, no, I listen, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, one of those policies that you're talking about was the policy of reopening Texas and making sure, and I think in some ways served as a model for the rest of the country in terms of your, your ability to get things open, prove and show that you can operate commerce across a state, like you said, is the ninth biggest economy in the world, and you're not putting people at risk. And at the time, I think the president called you all Neanderthals or something like that. I mean, you kind of have the last laugh on this, do you not? Right. And, and so, uh, as you point out, uh, I made a big announcement uh, that Texas was opening up 100% and eliminating uh, any mask re requirement whatsoever. And that day, the, the president called, uh, called uh, it Neanderthal thinking. So I'm still trying to get my team to come up with Neanderthal t-shirts uh, because uh, it, we can it, help it shows, that ruthless. We do t-shirts quite it, well. <laughs> it shows in the end that Neanderthals win uh, because ever since we opened up hundred percent, the numbers have continued to decline all the COVID numbers. And another way to phrase it, all of our COVID numbers have continued to improve, including going down to a day in which we had zero people, people uh, who lost their lives because of COVID and another day when there was one, another day when, when there was two. Uh, hospitalizations have gone down dramatically. Cases, positivity rate, everything has improved uh, dramatically. And so all these prognostications, including what Beto O'Rourke said, Beto O'Rourke said that day that I just signed a death warrant uh, for a fellow Texans. And because he and others who are all were Democrats and all were media, they wanted to keep Texas closed and all of them were 100% wrong, and Texas was 100% right to open up 100%. Well, the thing that blows my mind so much about this is that this isn't your first rodeo, right? I mean, we've watched you manage crises here for a lot of years, a lot of serious, whether it be hurricanes, natural events. We've had you know, rises in crime across the entire country. You've managed to, to, to deal with a lot of that in Texas. You and your team use statistics. They use information. And, and that's clearly what went into this decision to reopen. And yet you get the Beto O'Rourke's, you get the 
sort of the far left that looks at Texas and they just don't get it over and over and over again. That's got to be incredibly frustrating. Well, and going back to what you were talking about, the, the decision was based on simple math, the, the simple math of the, the real number of people who had acquired immunity. Right. The reason why I emphasize the word real is because there is a put out by the Department of Health Services in Texas uh, is a number of the people who were lab-based tested positive for COVID, which at that time was about 2.5 million. But according to studies, the real number of people who probably had acquired immunity from COVID was at least four times that much, meaning that in Texas, that was about 10 million people. Then you add that to the people who had at least one shot uh, of, of the vaccine. The, the news media and others, they want to try to say, well, you have to have both shots. But anybody who knows anything about the medicine right now knows that once you have that one shot, uh, you have a large segment of immunity. So add that to the number of uh, right. vaccine shots that were coming in in Texas. The mathematical equation was easy, knowing that there was it was going to be physically impossible for COVID to spread as rapidly in the future as it had in the past, and that the worst of COVID was behind us, and it was time to open up 100%. Last issue I want to ask you about, we noticed as I referred to, obviously, a violent crime in cities across this country has gone through the roof here over the last year. Uh, Texas is not immune to that. It seems to have a, a, a correlation in many ways to places that have had long, long been liberal governance, places like Austin that we saw over the weekend with a horrific shooting. How much is the issue of crime and safety coming back to the fore in terms of what you, you see voters caring about going into 2022 and beyond? So safety is always a paramount issue. And it just makes sense. If, if you're not safe in your home, if you're not safe in your work, if you're not safe going to work or uh, going out shopping, whatever the case may be, then you can't be happy in anything else. You'll be fearing for your life. Uh, and that's exactly why uh, we, we, we passed a law that I signed uh, that penalizes cities that try to defund police because Texas is a law and order state. And we're not going to tolerate defunding police or yeah. disrespecting police or demonizing police. Uh, so we have uh, penalties on cities so significant uh, that it leaves cities no option but to fully fund law enforcement, uh, but also other penalties to crack down on rioters, uh, as well as others who are calling, uh, causing disorder. Uh, because we are going to have safe cities in the state of Texas, period. Yeah, and I like it. Well, here's the last issue I'm going to ask you about. Um, you got a campaign coming up, and I'll editorialize for a moment. My own personal view is that anybody who's even running against you is a joke at this point because you've done an incredible job as governor of Texas and, and well-deserved as many much time as you want, in my view. But we hear at the national level, the, the liberal left talking about Matthew McConaughey. Do you take this seriously? Is this a, is this a real candidate for governor? Well, uh, I, I will tell you this. Anybody who knows me knows the validity of what I'm about, I'm about to tell you. And as first, even though our session's over, for, for me, it continues for another week where I'm signing and vetoing a, a few bills. So I'll, I'll get to politics beginning in about a week. But here's what people know, and, and that is uh, I take every campaign opponent very seriously. Yeah. Uh, it, it could be as, as easy an opponent as I had last time, which was Lupe Valdez, or it could be somebody uh, more challenging, but I'll take everybody seriously because uh, I'm in it uh, to fight for it, to win it. Uh, and I have to uh, make sure that, that 
Uh, I'm going to do what it takes to win, but I feel comfortable about where I am and where I will be. Well, you should feel very comfortable. You've done a whale of a job. Let me get to the three questions that everybody on Ruthless gets, okay. and they're very important. The minions take these things very seriously. So the first question is, your last meal on earth, Governor, what would it be? Well, that's pretty easy. Texas barbecue. Yeah, there you go. I, I mean, I just, it's like a setting it on a tee for you. <laughs> Anything in particular, like a, is a brisket? I mean, it, probably the brisket, right? Well, so here's the deal. You're asking me to, to pick among my children. Okay. All right. Because yeah. I, I, will, I, I will tell you this. I haven't had some extremely good brisket for lunch today. Uh, <laughs> but, but listen, ribs are extremely good. You do ribs right. Oh, yeah. Ribs are, are very, very good also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at some point, Rufus is going to come to Texas. You're going to have to show us around because the barbecue, barbecue is fantastic. No question about it. All right. So second question, if you weren't involved in politics, if you never got into this mess at all, what would you be doing with your life? Oh, had I not been involved in this at all? Yeah. I, I'm going to give you two answers. If, if, if I already get out of politics today. Okay. Uh, and, and this sounds sentimental, but it happens to be factual. Uh, I have a, uh, a, a daughter uh, and the one thing I would do more than anything else is spend time with my daughter. One thing that you can never get back in life is time lost with your kids. And the more time I get to spend uh, with my, my daughter, the best. But I, listen, I've, I've known before, I'm, I'm going to give you a longer answer to this because it's more complex. For, for those who do not know, I'm in a wheelchair. But the reason I'm in a wheelchair is because when I was 26 years old, I was out jogging and a big tree fell on me. Uh, and hit, fractured vertebrae in my back and left me paralyzed uh, and unable to ever walk again. The reason why I tell that story is because I've thought actually about the answer you asked me a lot since that accident, because had that accident not happened, I probably would not be governor today mm. because I was spending about three or four days a week on a golf course. I love golfing so much. Yeah, uh, I probably uh, would be some golf hack somewhere uh, scratching for a living somehow. <laughs> oh, well, that's a pretty good answer. I mean, Ted Cruz told us he was going to be in the NBA, so I can buy you as a PGA golfer. A I, heck of I, a can, lot quicker I can than that. tell you this unequivocally. I would be a far better golfer than Ted Cruz would be a basketball. <laughs> I'm not going to put up an argument. In, in fact, I can say that with me in a wheelchair, I'd be a better golfer <laughs> than Ted Cruz would be a pro basketball player. I love that. I love that. That could be put to the test too. <laughs> All right. Third and final question. What motivates Governor Abbott more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Thrill of victory. You're a thrill of victory guy. I can see no that right away. I can see that right away. Now it's look, it, it's a funny question because everybody gets differently motivated and it's that there's no like real right answer. It's the authentic answer that matters. And I, I can, I put no argument up against your thrill of victory. That's for sure. Listen, it's great to see you. And you guys come down to Austin sometime. You bet. We'll take you up on that. Governor Abbott, thanks for your time. Take care. So the guy's building the wall. That's a great, that's a great interview. Number one, he's building the wall. And I love, uh, he, he, he could golf <laughs> better than Ted Cruz could play ball. <laughs> In a wheelchair. You got to, man, Texas is, you got to love Texas. He's just got to so, love Texas. It's so hardcore. I will say that's two governors in a row. Yeah. Gianforte and now Abbott, who, if you talk to them, if you actually listen, you don't put this through the mainstream media filter of what you think about like Liz Cheney or what you think about like Trump mm -hmm. or what you think about whatever. But if you actually listen and talk to them about why they make decisions and what's happening in their state, 
They're smart as shit. Dude, mm-hmm. it's it's so funny you say that because I feel like, especially when Republicans are, you know, the party out of power in Washington, we lose that perspective. Yes. You know, as a conservative movement of, of how much good is being done in these states, whether, you know, it's Gianforte or it's Abbott or it's DeSantis in Florida. It's like there is so much we're doing as a movement at the state level that we need to laser focus on as a model of what we do here in Washington. I mean, we don't have all the answers here in Washington. Right. I I think that's a great, like the states are the lab with the governors doing their good work that you then see what works and it should be, you know, you bring it on up. Well, great interview with Abbott. Shout out also like, uh, the, the, the governor races we have in the midterms, you gotta you gotta keep an eye on those. You gotta keep your eye on the ball. Those are very important. You know the RGA is already doing a lot of good work. Keep your eyes on those because plus we have, he gave and, us an invitation to Texas, and I'm I'm absolutely taking him up on Love that. Love it. Love Texas. All of these interviews have been just a wonderful uh, inroad for us to get uh, barbecue and whatever. Yeah, it's it awesome. Like we should hit the <laughs> it's road. Fantastic. Right? I love it. All right, Smug, sign us out of here. Another banger of an episode. Excellent work, gentlemen. And thank you to all the minions who listen. Keep telling your friends to subscribe. You know, our numbers keep going up, and it's because of folks like you. So thank you so much. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.